Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, church. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Hanford. We're glad you're joining us today. We are continuing on in our series called The Holy Spirit. We are in week three now of this uh, five-week series. I hope you've found it challenging, uh, hopefully as challenging as I've found studying through it. Um, You know, I've really enjoyed teaching through the role of the Holy Spirit so far, who he is and that sort of thing. Um, And the first two weeks really have been who the Holy Spirit is. And as we start week three and continue through week five, we're really going to talk about kind of the role of the Spirit, the function that the Spirit has and that sort of thing. Um, Most of you probably don't know this, um, but when we were in the hospital having our third child, uh, I use that term we loosely. My wife was doing most of the work. Um, But when we were having our third child, Owen, at that point, um, everything was great. Baby was fine. Owen was fine. Uh, Sarah was fine, recovering, all of that stuff. And uh, we were in the hospital and they have to do all these, you know, different tests on the baby to make sure that the baby is healthy before uh, he was able to, to go home, before all of us were able to go home. Um, and so, you know, some of, the, the, some of the, the tests are, you know, is he, is he pooping okay? Um, uh, is he eating okay? And then they have a third one, uh, and there's probably others too, I'm just not remembering, but they have another one that is essentially uh, a hearing test uh, for the baby. So they're coming in, and he had passed the other two tests with flying colors, and then the last day uh, before we were allowed to leave, they had to do this hearing test. So the nurse comes in, and uh, they put these little baby headphones uh, on on Owen, and she's doing the test. And I realize it's kind of I don't ever remember it taking this long with our other two kids at this point. And so, um, you know, she's getting kind of like a concerned look on her face, and she takes the headphones off of uh, off of Owen. She says, "Well, um, he's not responding to the test right now, so I'll be back in a few hours uh, to try again." And she just left. Now, as a parent, that's super concerning to say, hey, we don't know if your newborn baby can hear anything. Now, for Owen specifically, uh, we knew that he was just kind of a chilled out baby. For the first like 12, 20 hours of his life or something like that, he didn't cry a lot. He didn't fuss a lot. He didn't even react to to many things. He was just kind of a a calm kid. And that really did continue on uh, into elementary school where he's at now. He's just kind of a pretty chilled out kid. Uh, But at the time, we had no clue whether or not that our kid could actually hear. And so, you know, uh, we immediately go into into frenzy mode um, and we're, we're on our cell phones trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean? If a baby doesn't pass a hearing test, does this mean that our kid is going to be deaf? I start going into like worst case scenarios of like, okay, well, if our kid is deaf, I'm going to need to learn sign language. Sarah's going to need to learn sign language. How are, are his brothers going to be able to communicate with him? What is his life going to be like as a deaf person? Like I just start thinking all of these things a few steps ahead and I couldn't calm my mind long enough to just think to myself, okay, hold on. I need to take a second. I need to stop and pray. And so finally, when I was able to say, okay, you know what? I need to take this entire thing to God, the only thing that I could consistently come up with for prayer was simply just God help us, God help us, help us. Like that was consistently what I was saying in my head as I was praying to God and petitioning to God, just God help us 
over and over and over again because I just couldn't find the words that I needed, that I felt like I needed to express in order to pray a prayer that I was supposed to pray at that point. So it was simply, God help us, God help us. Well, about two hours later, that nurse uh, came back in, same nurse, um, and uh, she did the test and then she started to walk out of the room and didn't tell us anything. And so to two parents who were like in full frenzy mode and worried that they have a son who uh, may be deaf for the rest of his life, um, I actually had to stop her on her way out and say, excuse me, what, did, what were the results of the test? And she was just, you know, kind of flippantly said like, oh yeah, he's fine and walked out. So needless to say, we never went to that hospital again. That's not necessarily because we didn't appreciate the care that we got there. We just moved. But I will say that I probably wouldn't have gone back to that hospital because she left us a nervous wreck for way too long. You know, it really did uh, send us kind of into shock at that point. We didn't know how to express our needs specifically to God. And all we could come up with was God help us. God, help us. You know, there are moments in life for all of us when we can hardly figure out how to pray at all. You know, I knew that God had answered my prayers, even though that I couldn't put those words together. I don't know if Owen at one point was deaf when he was 20 hours old, and then that prayer made him hear again. Um, I don't know if she just didn't take the test correctly. I don't know if Owen intentionally passed the test because he was just that chilled out with life. I don't know. But I do know that, that my prayers in that moment were heard regardless of what it was that I could say, that all I could articulate at that point was God help us. You know, looking back at that experience, I really uh, figured out something pretty profound and that is the more something means to you, the harder it is to pray for. And not necessarily to remember to pray for it because you're always thinking about it, but really what I'm trying to say here is that it's harder to articulate those prayers in words that you feel like are meaningful enough to be able to give them up to God. You know, the reason we can pray so easily to other, or for other people is that we're not that deeply invested in them. Right, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say a brief prayer for people in Thailand or Botswana or Latvia or wherever because we never are going to have a conversation with those people. Now, for the most part, we're probably not ever going to interact with them ever in our lives. And so because of that, our deep care and concern for them really is nothing compared to those people who are in our, media, our immediate social circles. But it's much different when you try to pray for those who are closest to you. You know, the more you care, the harder it is to pray, the harder it is to articulate those prayers in a meaningful way. And it comes to those things in life that really matter. You know, your, your husband, your wife, your kids, your loved ones, those things are incredibly hard to pray for because they're close to your heart. And it's precisely at this point that our text from Romans 8, 26 and 27. So if you're following along at home, you can open your Bibles to Romans 8, 26 and 27. We'll get to it in just a sec. But it assures us that when we can't pray, the Holy Spirit actually prays for us. That's kind of a strange dynamic for us to be able to, be able to understand. 
but the Holy Spirit, he, he intercedes for us. And you're going to see that word mentioned, but when we can't find the words, the Holy Spirit speaks to the Father with groans that can't be put into words. And when we aren't sure how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us actually according to the will of God. This is actually an incredible promise of God because as we go through life, we really do face many situations where we simply don't know how to pray. And in those moments, we can be sure that God, the Holy Spirit, God is praying for us. Scripture says this, starting in verse 26 of chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, we need to understand at this point how the Holy Spirit prays for us. And the first thing the Spirit does for us is he prays for us in our weakness, right? This is noted in the first part in verse 26a. It says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word helps there is a word that kind of pictures, uh, it allows us to picture someone helping somebody else carry a heavy load, a massive burden. Here's someone trying to drag like an enormous log, but it's so heavy he can barely move it. Then along comes this strong man who picks it up uh, one end and together they carry the log down the road. That really is kind of what the, the Holy Spirit does for us. He continually comes to us and continually helps us with our heavy load. See, we need, we need the Spirit's help because we are weak by nature. Right? The word weakness is the same word that's used for sickness in James 5.14. It refers to those moments in life really when, when we're physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted when circumstances have combined to kind of push us over the edge, but it refers to more than just a momentary difficulty, right? It, it, weakness is our condition on the earth. Weakness is our condition ever since the fall of man. We are inherently weak and unable to help ourselves. See, verse 26, it continues on by saying, we don't know how to pray as we ought. We have no clue what, like how it is that we are supposed to pray. Literally, this means we don't know what to pray for. We have no clue what it is that we're supposed to pray for. And this is one of our chief problems in prayer. Right? How many times have we, have we tried to pray and we didn't know what to ask from the, for the Lord? There are so many times when people come into my offices or, I, or into my office or I get phone calls or whatever it is and they just ask for prayer. And I think to myself, that is such an incredibly difficult situation. How do I know what it is that I am supposed to pray for in this situation? I remember specifically a time, a couple that was incredibly close to Sarah and I, uh, they, they miscarried their baby and she was going to go and have to deliver her baby as a stillborn. And they asked me to come over and pray before she went and had to do that. And I went and I prayed with them. And it honestly, the prayer was a whole lot of crying because I didn't know how to pray for them. I had no clue what it was that I was supposed to pray for. This, this, uh, this happens oftentimes when we're faced with a crisis, when we're trying to pray for someone else. In the first place, we don't know the future, so we can't tell necessarily how things turn out. But beyond that, we don't know what is best for us. 
And so because of the fact that we don't know what's best for us, we may think we want a new job because we can't stand our current boss. But when we get a new job, we also get a boss who maybe happens to be 10 times worse than our old boss, right? Or maybe on a deeper level. Married people, there's probably uh, times in your life that you think to myself, you know what, this would be so much easier if I was just a single person. Or maybe just as bad, single people who think to yourself, you know what, this would be so much better if I was just married. But when you are, you discover that you've simply exchanged one set of problems for another. And you don't necessarily know the outcome of those things. And so it goes over and over and over. We don't know what to pray for because our vision is so limited. We see only a tiny fraction of the universe and our perspective is always inevitably incredibly tainted by our selfishness. The question really does become, how can we be sure that we are praying or what we are praying for is what God wants, right? Rarely can we can be absolutely sure what God wants in a particular situation though. After we have made our requests to God, especially those requests uh, in crisis, during those crisis times of life, we just need to be okay saying, but Father, I don't know what it is that you want me to do. I don't know what it is that you want me to say, but I want your will to be done, even if it means that my will is not done in this situation. Because God, I truly believe that you know what is best. In the second half of verse 26, it talks about the idea that the Spirit helps us in how to pray. It says, we don't, know, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. We need the help of the Holy Spirit because we don't know how to pray. Paul actually tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. Literally, this translation means wordless groanings. In those, in those moments when we cannot pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. It also means that when we lift up our feeble and oftentimes ignorant prayers to God, the Holy Spirit takes them and he translates them into the language of heaven. Translates them in such a way that, God can, that God's will is going to be done through those prayers. Because no one knows exactly how this happens, right? It's a, it's a mystery that goes on between the Spirit and the Father, like so much of the Trinity, but I imagine it's something like this, that we may pray for a new job, but the Holy Spirit really does end up speaking to the Father like this. Father, he thinks he, thinks he wants a new job because he's weary of all of the pressure. He's weary of all the things that kind of are coming down the pike, but I know it's your will that he learns to depend entirely on you. So Father, please don't give him the new job right now. Father, give him really the supernatural strength and uh, please send a Christian along the way to give him some encouragement as well. And because the Holy Spirit always prays according to the will of God, like we read earlier, that prayer is the one that is answered. Matthew Henry says of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit excites praying graces. In other words, he makes us want to pray. He teaches us how it is that we're supposed to pray and he helps us as we pray. And when we can't pray at all, he prays for us to the Father. Often the best prayers are unheard and even unspoken. These are the prayers that arise from a broken heart to God who hears the groanings that cannot be put into word. 
But how do we know that, that God even hears our wordless groaning through the Spirit? Well, that's what 27 is all about. Verse 27 says this, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So how do we know God hears our prayer? Because the Father knows what the Spirit is thinking, and there is perfect intimacy and perfect harmony between the two. Because going back to week one, God is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is God. So there's perfect harmony between them. There's no contradiction between the Spirit in our heads and the Father in heaven. So when the Spirit intercedes for us, he always intercedes according to God's will. So when we pray, we say, what, we say what's on our hearts. And the Spirit says to the Father, what he really means is this. If he knew better, this is what he would ask for. Or she wants to be like Jesus, and this is what she really needs. So in your weakness, when you feel desperate about the things that truly matter to you, and you don't know what to say, and all you can do is cry out saying, oh God, the message is, don't worry. Don't worry, that's enough because there is someone who is praying for you. So when I was saying, God help us, don't worry, because there is someone who is praying for me. You know, when you come to that moment of complete exhaustion and can no longer frame the words that you feel like you need to frame, you don't need to worry. The Holy Spirit will pray for you in your weakness. He is strong. And when you cannot speak, the Holy Spirit speaks for you. You know, when we end up leaning against kind of that wall of desperation, crying out to God and we whisper, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray about this. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, don't worry, I'll pray for you. And he does. And as we pray from our weak and our limited perspective, like we talked about before, the Holy Spirit kind of takes some divine wide out and corrects our prayers so that God's will is always done even in our most wrong-headed prayers. You know, since the Holy Spirit knows what God's will is, and since God searches our hearts, like verse 27 says, he's able to pray for us in ways that always correspond with God's will, regardless of what our prayers are. You know, one sign that this is happening is that we pray for one thing, and God does the opposite. If you've been a Christian for a long time, and someone who prays fervently, this has definitely happened to you at some point, when you pray for one thing, and God delivers the opposite, right? I was praying over and over and over again for God to intercede on my dad's behalf when he had cancer and say, God, just heal my dad, heal my dad, heal my dad. He ended up doing the opposite, but he was more glorified in my dad's death than I believe he would have been in my dad's life. So does that though mean that your prayers are in vain? Not at all, not at all. Does it mean we shouldn't pray? Not at all. It simply reveals our inherent human weakness, our inherent human sin, and the limitation of our perspective on life. We see the part. The Holy Spirit sees the whole. We see one little piece. The Holy Spirit sees the big picture. We pray according to the little bit that we see. The Holy Spirit prays according to his perfect knowledge. But how does this translate for us? It's the so what of the message at this point, because this passage should actually encourage you to pray more, not less. It should encourage you to pray more fervently. It should encourage you to pray with incredible confidence because the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf. It's not up to you. 
So even when you don't have the words, the Holy Spirit is providing those words for you. God isn't judging your words. God is listening to your heart at this point. And we pray to a God who can discern the prayer within the prayer. He hears the words we say, and he also understands the heart cry and the hidden desires that are underneath our prayers. He can give us the substance of what we ask for, even while refusing the form that they take. That is, he can say yes to our deepest desires, even while he says no to those surface-level prayers that we're praying. And because of that, we get what we truly desired, even though it's not what we asked for. There's a, a poem that's written by Henry Viscardi that I really does think, I really do think brings the truth home in a pretty powerful way. It says this. It says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn, to, learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. And pay attention to this part. It says, I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, um, I am among all men most richly blessed. Church, can you imagine what it would look like if we recognize that the Holy Spirit, that God is praying for us? That you literally can't pray a wrong prayer because God is interceding to himself on your behalf? That's why we talk so much about, about this being a relationship with God, that this isn't just a religion you show up, it's about morality and all those things. This is truly a relationship with God. It's because he knows you better than you know yourself. And the more often you commune with him, the more often you pray with him, the more often you spend time with him, you get an opportunity to hear what it is his will is for your life. Because he knows your thoughts, because he knows your desires, and they are turned to his will because the Holy Spirit living within you communicates it as such. What an incredible opportunity we have to pray prayers that would ignite our community towards Christ rather than division. That we would pray that we would have unity in the family of God. That we would pray that our country would be healed, that our world would be healed. Not so there's justice just for the sake of justice, but justice because Christ loves everyone. That we would pray that God would use us regardless of our shortcomings, regardless of our short-sighted prayers, because God knows what's best anyway. And his will is perfect. Church, if that happened, we would find ourselves as a church that would be in the middle of God's will and see him work through us. It would be an absolutely incredible opportunity and an incredible honor to join him in the work that he's already doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, I thank you for this series and doing our best to learn more about about 
you as the Spirit, about how you intercede on our behalf, that how there's no such thing as an imperfect prayer. Because you're living inside of us. And so God, I pray that we would do our best to make your name known, that we would do our best to to commune with your spirit, that we would search our hearts, that we would allow your spirit to come and and just, that the spirit would search our hearts in such a way that, that our prayers would be your will. And that we would know that even in our imperfect words and our shortcomings and our short-sightedness that that you're a God a whole lot bigger that you would understand that even though we're asking for one thing really our desire is another that even as I was asking father for my dad to be healed from cancer the longing of my heart was that you would be glorified in the midst of all of it and you were and so father thank you for that. Thank you for your spirit. And if you're someone this morning who has yet to place their faith in Christ, and you're like, you know what? The Holy Spirit is doing something. He's beckoning me to the Father that I want to be part of something like this. I want to be part of something bigger than myself. I want to be part of, of this family of God where God knows me better than I know myself. Then I would just ask that you would pray along with me this morning. As we do at the end of all of our services, we pray the ABCs where we say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, that I fall short every single day, that I'm short-sighted, I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm all of those things. And I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But I believe, Father, that you sent your son on the cross to die for me. God, I'm so thankful for him that he went to die on the cross and conquer death so I could be united with you forever. And beyond that, Father, that I would choose to follow you every single day. And that a part of choosing to follow you is listening to your spirit, is crying out to you, even when I don't have the words to articulate what it is that I'm supposed to say, that I would just cry out to you and your spirit would intercede on my behalf. Father, I'm thankful for the mystery that you are because I never want to have a God that I can explain away. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.